Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Now, if you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah and chapter number 9. If you don't have a Bible with you today, you can find one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible and turn to page 492, and you would be at Isaiah chapter 9. We have been doing a short series of messages we have entitled, The Most Unique Birth Announcement Ever, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. And as we have been doing this, we have been sharing with you some examples of creative and unique birth announcements. And I want to thank you for sending those to me. A number of you have sent them to me. Um, Unfortunately, I can't show all of them. But I do want to show you one other very creative, unique birth announcement. This was sent to me by Ryan and Libby Eshelman. And it's hard to read the text of that announcement, but I'm, I'm going to read part of it to you. So this is what it says. This is after the birth birth of their fourth child. Studio releases final episode of Popular Epic. Independent filmmakers Ryan and Libby Eshelman recently announced the October 11, 2010 worldwide release of the final installment in their wildly popular adventure series, Progeny. Um... Episode 4, titled Austin Ryan, has played to enthusiastic fans who are undoubtedly sad to see the powerhouse franchise draw to a close after a nine-year run of blockbusters. Episode 1 was Evan Matthew, Episode 2, Avery Elizabeth, Episode 3, Owen Sumner. And now, Austin Ryan is poised to be the feel-good hit of the year, building on the success of the series and introducing an exciting new 8-pound, 14-ounce, 20-inch, 1-inch leading man. Critics initially responded with shock as Austin Ryan was created under a cloud of secrecy, leading many to assume that episode three would be the filmmaker's last great work. While Ryan and Libby insist these projects are labors of love, and thoroughly enjoy the collaboration process. (laughs) They insist no further sequels should be expected, citing studio solvency concerns. So we really appreciate them passing that along to us, and indeed that is a very unique and very creative birth announcement. But it does pale in light of the world's most unique birth announcement ever. And as we've been examining this from Isaiah chapter 9, we, we've said that it's very unique because it was actually given seven centuries before the baby was born. And another thing that makes it unique is that this baby is given four names, really four doublets of names. Now, like the Eshelmans, Janet and I had the privilege of having four children. And it's always interesting when you have children and you choose a name for that. For example, in our culture, it's very frequent that when we choose a name for a baby, we might name that 
maybe after a particular person. For example, my middle name is Alfred, and that was the first name of my maternal grandfather. Sometimes we choose a name in our culture because we think it fits well with the last name that we had. Um, it was interesting, I was talking to, to Mark Maltaner after the first service, and he said, you know, in Ethiopia, they don't name their children for several years. They let them grow up, and they, they find out what kind of a person they're going to be like personality-wise, and then they give them a name that relates to that. In Hebrew culture, they would do something similar. A lot of times they would give a name by a characteristic that the baby would have. For example, in Genesis chapter 25, Isaac and Rebekah give birth to twins. The first twin to come out was very hairy, so they named him Esau, which literally is the word for hairy. And I think about that, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm glad I was born in a different culture from that, because I could have been named when I was born Big Ears or High Forehead or something like that. But they would often do that in Hebrew culture, or they would, very much like the Ethiopian culture, perhaps name a child after a character. It could be an early perceived character, or it could be a desired character. But in this situation, the name of the baby is given by God Himself. So it's significant. And as we have seen, the names that this baby is given, this baby who would be Jesus, are descriptive of His character. And it tells us something of the influence and the impact He would have on other people. In other words, as we have been examining this birth announcement, we've seen that it sheds light on who He is and what He offers to humanity. Now, I'd like to read this most unique birth announcement ever. Again, it's found in Isaiah 9, verse 6. I just invite you to follow along as I read what it says. It says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. See those four names there, those four sets of doublets. And we've already investigated in the previous couple of weeks the first two. We've seen that His name is Wonderful Counselor. And we summarized the meaning behind that by saying He knows all. And also, we looked at the fact that His name would be Mighty God, and we summarized that by saying He has the power that we need. Now, today we're coming to the last two names. And as we examine them, the beauty of this is we come to understand Jesus better. And as we reflect on these things, it will enable us to rely on Jesus more consistently. So let's look at the second pair. We have not only Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, but also His name will be called Eternal Father. Literally in the original, Father of Eternity. Now that's an idiomatic statement to say someone's the father of something. For example, Jesus said of Satan, 
He is the father of lies. What does that really mean? Well, he is the originator. He is the source. He is the author of lies, is what Jesus was communicating. Well, here we have Jesus being designated as the eternal Father, or literally the Father of eternity. In other words, He is the originator. He is the source. He is actually the very author of eternity. You know, a lot of times we talk about this idea of eternity, but we don't really experience eternity in this life on some levels. In other words, one of the problems of life is that things don't last. You ever notice that? Things just don't last. Businesses don't last. You know, in, in our area here, we had two electronic stores that are no longer in existence. Circuit City was the name of one of them, and Ultimate Electronics. I bought things at both of those stores, but businesses don't last. All the years that I have been in Norman, there's been the restaurant, the Boomerang restaurant here. All of the 30-some years I've been here, it's not here anymore. Businesses don't last. Governments don't last. Uh, that's what the study of history is all about. It's all about the rise and the fall of governments. That's all history is. This government came along, and then it fell. And then this government and country came along, and then it faded away from the scene. Businesses don't last. Governments don't last. And people don't last. People don't last. Alan Perkins, he put it this way. He says, no matter how much your parents love you, no matter how much your husband or wife cares for you, if you live long enough, there will come a day when they will leave. They will abandon you, not necessarily by choice, but by their death. Their lives will someday come to an end, and there's nothing they can do about it. As much as I enjoy being a father to my children, a day is coming when I will abandon them because I will have to fade from the scene. What this is saying, and it gives Jesus the name eternal father, is that Jesus is different, you see. He has always been God. Long before you and I were here, he was God. And long after you and I are gone, he will be God. He is the eternal father. And as the eternal father, he gives promises to us. For example, in Hebrews 13.5, his promise as eternal father to you is, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be there. I will always provide for you. Now, that is music to the ears. If you grew up and were abandoned by your earthly father or you had an earthly father who was abusive, that the eternal father would say, I'm always going to be there for you. I'm always going to be able to provide for you. In fact, no earthly father could ever match that. 
Now, when the eternal Father is present, there are several things that He provides for. The first thing is that He provides for eternity. As our eternal Father, He provides for eternity. For example, this is all through the pages of the New Testament. Just give you some examples. In Hebrews 5.9, it says that He is the source of eternal salvation. In chapter 9, verse 12, it says, He obtained eternal redemption. In chapter 9, verse 15, He gives to us the promise of an eternal inheritance. Do you see that word eternal, eternal, eternal? This is why He was born as our eternal Father to provide for eternity. And as you get older, you realize very quickly that time is so limited. It's just tick, tick, ticking away. And our ultimate enemy and the ultimate enemy of time, death, gets closer each week. Everybody that's here is closer to the time of our death than we were a week ago. And we have a desperate need as human beings to have assurances beyond time, beyond the dark veil of death. And the eternal Father, you see, is there to provide that for us. As eternal Father, He provides for eternity. Secondly, this is very important, He provides here and now as our eternal Father. You can keep your finger in the book of Isaiah in chapter 9 and turn with me to the first book of the New Testament to the right in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. And we have in Matthew chapter 6 some assurances that the eternal Father provides for us here and now. It's not just providing for eternity, but providing for here and now. Familiar passage in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. I would invite you just later on to read through all of the verses. But in particular, I want you to notice verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. They're not in the farming business. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. And you can underline the next phrase because it's the the main point. Are you not worth much more than they? Verse 31, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, the the pagan community out there, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. As our eternal Father He provides not only for eternity, He provides for here and now. He will always be our provider. He will always be our protector. He will always be our refuge. He will always be our strength. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, 
It says He always lives to intercede for you. He is our eternal Father. No matter what you might be going through, you may be going through some suffering, maybe going through some disappointment, you may be experiencing some sorrow, you may be experiencing some confusion, but our eternal Father is always there. He's always there with His goodness and with His kindness and with His care and with His provision and with His compassion and His mercy. And as eternal Father, those things will never end. Jeremiah put it this way. He says, they are new every morning. His goodness is there every morning. His kindness is there, His care, His provision, His compassion, and His mercy. His name shall be called Eternal Father. So, as we said, by way of summary, as wonderful counselor, we can say that He knows all. As mighty God, we can say He has the power we need. As eternal Father, we can summarize by saying His care is forever. That's wonderful news, wonderful news. Now, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, we learn that there is a fourth name given, a fourth doublet. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and fourth, Prince of Peace. You know, it's interesting, when you study humanity, you find that peace has been always a conquest of people throughout the ages. And as you have even observed the world around us, people are always pursuing personal peace. But really what they are pursuing is pseudo-peace. But they're pursuing it. And they may turn to fun and good times and partying in the search for peace. Or perhaps some of us have turned to alcohol and drugs because we are pursuing peace or on a quest for peace. Some people, it's sex and sensuality. For some people, it's hard work and accomplishment. For some people, it's meditation or relaxation techniques. But the idea is there's this pursuit of peace. Too often we're pursuing pseudo-peace. The reality is that peace is found in the prince of peace. It's found in a person. You know, when we're not into princes in, in this country. We don't have that tradition. But whenever you hear of someone being called the prince of something, you know, they are the prince of fill-in-the-blank. What does that mean? Well, when it says they're the prince of whatever it may be, that's, that's the arena of their rule. That's the arena of their control. That's the arena of their influence. Well, his name will be Prince of Peace. You see, the arena of his rule, the area of his control, the area of his influence is in this area called peace. The word that is translated peace really means chief or captain or commander. He is the chief of Peace. He is the captain of peace. He's the commander of peace. What's really interesting is we look at all four of these names. This last one is perhaps the most enigmatic. It's the one that 
confuses people more than any other one. What does it mean he is the Prince of Peace? You remember in the the Christmas story when Jesus is born in Luke chapter 2, what it says there in verse 14? Remember, Remember you have the angels and it says, a multitude of the heavenly host, and they're saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men. And you think that there's an announcement that peace is fully arrived. And yet what happens very shortly after this announcement? You remember? Herod hears about it that this baby has been born. And he orders the slaughter of every male two years and younger. A little mystifying. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men, and yet there's a slaughter of little kids. What does this really mean, his name be called Prince of Peace? Well, I think it may be a little different than some people would think. And what I want to do is I want to take a few moments to talk about what it does not really signify, what it does not really mean when it says his name will be Prince of Peace. It it, it does not mean relational peace among all people. I mean, we knew that right away. certainly didn't mean that because we have a slaughter of babies. Uh, You might refer to... Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, I've got it up on the screen for you. These are some words that Jesus said. He said, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. And a man's enemies will be members of his family. What was he saying there, basically? He was basically saying that the gospel message that I personify, that forgiveness comes only one way, and that is through the person and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's saying that gospel message is going to cause friction. It's going to cause division in families. And every single one of us could tell of some family members where that has been true. Because of the gospel message that we embrace, that brings friction and division inside of families. And sometimes it means that we get condemned and we get judged for our particular position. Or it may simply mean that our our following of Jesus brings about ridicule or being ostracized. You know, it's interesting how in the news, those of you who are sports fans have heard a little of the story of Tim Tebow, the professional quarterback, and just some of the things he gets just because he wants to talk like there really is a living God that he has a relationship with. And you see this ridicule and this ostracized attitude that comes. And what Jesus is saying is, with me coming, this is going to be one of the consequences of the gospel message. You know, when I am designated the Prince of Peace, it doesn't mean I'm bringing relational peace among all people. I mean, look at it. I mean, it's just not, it's been a futile pursuit politically to come up with peace. 
interesting, back in 1965, you thought, who at the time was the Secretary General of the United Nations, asked this question. Now, at this particular gathering, there were 67 distinguished scholars and statesmen from 19 countries of the world, and they came together to talk about what would be required to accomplish world peace. This is what he said. He said, what element is lacking so that with all our skill and all our knowledge, we still find ourselves in the dark valley of discord and enmity? Why is it that for all our professed ideals, our hopes, our skills, peace on earth is still a distant objective seen only dimly through the storms and turmoils of our present difficulties. You know, and I looked at that quote this week, and I thought not much has changed in nearly a half of a century. When Jesus was given the name Prince of Peace, it didn't mean that he was showing up on the scene to provide relational peace among all people. And there's another thing it does not mean, being the Prince of Peace. It doesn't mean that we will be experiencing peaceful, trouble-free lives. Now, somehow, some people begin to get that idea that when you launch into a relationship with Jesus Christ, now everything's going to be smooth sailing. He may be the Prince of Peace, but that doesn't mean we're going to have peaceful trouble-free lives. And and there's all kinds of passages in the New Testament that emphasize that. In James chapter 1 and verse 2, for example, he says this to those who are followers of Jesus. It says, when you encounter various trials. See, it's not if or wow, that'll never happen. It's when you encounter them, here's the ways that you are to respond. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter is writing to the believers there, and he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, this fiery experience you're having, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. See, the, the coming of the Prince of Peace doesn't mean that he came to give us peaceful, trouble-free lives. And, you know, if we took the time, we could go down row by row by row by row. And all of us could testify of the adversity and the difficulty, and some of it being relational difficulty, some of it being financial difficulty, some of it being medical difficulty. And we could all talk about the things that we have faced recently and we are facing. In fact, some of us are here today, and just in the last 24 hours, you have realized that there's been some adversity that has moved into your life again, some circumstances that have arisen. See, when he's called the Prince of Peace, it doesn't mean he came to just establish this relational peace among all people. It doesn't mean peaceful, trouble-free life. 
So then the question is, well, what does it really mean? What's the significance of his name being given as the Prince of Peace? And if I were going to summarize, remember we talked about wonderful counselor means he knows Almighty God. He has the power we need, eternal Father. His care is forever. If I was going to summarize Prince of Peace, I would summarize it this way. His ministry as the Prince of Peace is multiple. It is multifaceted. And I want to take a few moments to look at those three facets of his ministry as the Prince of Peace. Facet number one that the Prince of Peace brings and provides is peace with God. Peace with God. You know, we learn from the New Testament, for example, Ephesians chapter 2 says that when we are born as a human being, we are at enmity with a holy God. We are at odds with a holy God. In fact, it says that by nature, by being born as human beings, we were by nature children of wrath, meaning that we fell so far short of God's standards of righteousness that we are deserving of the righteous, holy wrath of God. In fact, in the book of Colossians in chapter 2, it says that God's righteous decrees are hostile against us. That's an interesting turn of words, right? His righteous degrees are hostile against us. This is the reason why the Prince of Peace came. In fact, in Colossians 1.20, beautiful wording. He, Jesus, made peace. How did he do it? Through the blood of his cross. That's why he had to die for us, right? That's why we have the Christmas color of red. Blood was shed. He made peace between us, a holy God, through the blood of his cross. This is great stuff. In Romans 5.1, it says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith having been declared legally righteous by God, by our faith, by our trusting in and resting in who Christ was, what he did, his death, his resurrection. By doing that, what does it say? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Prince of Peace. What did he come to provide? He came to provide peace with God. He bought peace with God by his life. That's the first facet. His ministry as the Prince of Peace is multiple. Facet number two. First one is peace with God. Number two, he provides the peace of God. That refers to authentic inner peace despite the circumstances that we are experiencing. Part of what the Prince of Peace provides, the peace of God. In John 14, 27, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, Let not your heart be troubled, 
nor let it be fearful. As the Prince of Peace, I'm here to give you my peace. In fact, in John 16, 33, he says there, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, this authentic inner peace despite the circumstances, that you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. See, part of what the Prince of Peace provides is the peace of God, that authentic inner peace despite the circumstances. Now, I want to refer you to another passage of Scripture. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Now, what's really interesting about a passage like this is so often we go, I know what that says. I've heard that before. But sometimes it's good to slow down and take a closer look at it. I want you to notice what this says. It's amazing. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. But then I want you to notice what it says next. If you do this, what does it say? You will experience God's peace. Now think about that for a moment. There's four things there. What does it say? Don't worry about anything. That's number one. Instead, pray about everything. That's number two. Tell God what you need. That's number three. Thank Him for all that He's done. That's number four. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. And His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, that's what the Prince of Peace provides. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. And if you do that, you will experience God's peace. His peace, which goes beyond our ability to understand. See, the reality in my life is that when I walk with Him and I rely on Him, it makes a difference. When my reliance is on me, there's worry, there's anxiety. When our reliance is on the Prince of Peace, He gives us the peace of God. It's peace that goes beyond our ability to understand. If if you've ever been through a set of circumstances that are very adverse, and yet on the interior there's just this sense of settled rest, that's beyond our ability to understand. How in the world does anybody have that? Because the Prince of Peace, you see, provides it. As a Prince of Peace... His ministry is multiple. Facet number one is peace with God. Facet number two is the peace of God. Facet number three that he provides and will provide is ultimate peace. 
is a future promise. Notice in Isaiah chapter 9, after verse 6 comes verse 7, it says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. As the Prince of Peace, he's going to one day provide ultimate peace. You know what? The, the UN, for multiple, multiple decades, could even come close to realizing he is going to do. Because he is coming back to this world. He's going to reinvade this world. Now, he's not coming back as a lamb. That's how he came the first time. He's coming back the second time as a, what is it? As a lion. And he's going to set up his kingdom, and it's going to be a kingdom that has no end. He is going to establish it. He's going to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This was no ordinary child. This was the world's most unique birth announcement ever. And the question is, do you know him? You see, to those who are confused, he's the wonderful counselor. He knows all. He has all the information that you need. Do you know him? To those who are weak, he is the mighty God. He has the power that we need. Do you know him? And when you know him, those who feel abandoned, he is eternal father and his care is forever. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And to those who are troubled, whether it's trouble that you sense between you and God or just with life, he is the Prince of Peace. His ministry is multifaceted. He, as the Prince of Peace, provides peace with God. He provides the peace of God. And one day he's going to provide ultimate peace on this planet. Men and women, we have someone we can truly worship we have something we can truly celebrate. And I pray that is going to be true for you this Christmas season. And not only this Christmas season, you know, we need to honor Him every day, every single day. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank You so much for this part of the Word of God, for this incredible, ultimate, ultimate, birth announcement that there ever was. And Father, we want to pray for those who don't know Him personally. They may be confused about what life is all about. May they just come to know Him who is the wonderful counselor who knows all things. We pray for those who are weak and feel like they don't have strength that they might know Jesus as mighty God because He has the power that we need. We pray for those who know uh, us who know Him 
And and at times we feel abandoned that we would remember that he is our eternal father. His care is forever. He's never leaving us. He's never forsaking us. And for those of us who are troubled, may we remember that he is that prince of peace. His ministry is multifaceted. He provides peace with God. He provides the peace of God. And one day, praise the Lord, he is going to bring ultimate peace to this world. We pray, Father, that we would honor him for all that he is and all that he has done and all that he will do for us as our king. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.